listening to Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast with your hosts, John and Darren. Welcome to Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast. I'm your host, John, and I'm here with my co-host, Darren. And on today's episode, we are discussing Dio's fifth studio album, Lock Up the Wolves. Released on May 15th, 1990, the album featured a whole new band around Ronnie. 18-year-old Rowan Robertson would be on guitar, Simon Wright, formerly of ACDC, on drums, Teddy Cook on bass, and Jens Johansson on keyboards. The album would signal the beginning of a downturn for the Dio band with sagging sales and dropping attendance figures at concerts. The lineup wouldn't last long as Ronnie would find himself soon returning to Black Sabbath for the Dehumanizer album. But that's a story for another podcast. All right, Darren, uh, lock up the wolves. Dio enters the 90s. What are your memories and thoughts and feelings on this album? Well, um, it was one of those, another one of those albums that kind of came out unceremoniously. I, I hadn't heard much about it. Um, and so I was surprised to see it in a store. And uh, I didn't buy it when I first saw it. It took a little while. I was interested, again, in, in other things that were coming out at the time. They were a little bit more fresher, a little bit more stimulating. Um so, I mean, I wasn't really in a hurry to get the new Dio, but I was curious. And, of course, I've already invested quite a bit of time in Dio and Black Sabbath prior to that. So I wasn't just going to abandon. I wasn't going to just jump ship all of a sudden. Uh, but I, I listened to the album the first time, and it, it just went right by me. There was maybe a couple songs that sort of uh, seemed interesting but for the most part it was just really mid-tempo kind of slow it just seemed like there wasn't a lot of inspiration behind this album and then when you know you, you take out the inner sleeve and you see that the lineup is completely different and um you realize that it's basically more of a dio solo album it, it's hard to consider this the dio band uh we did whether uh, the storm of uh, Vivian to Craig Goldie, but now we've got we've got a new guitar player, seventeen year old guy, uh, Jens Johansson from I guess is from uh, Rising Force, Ingve Malmsteen's band, uh, an unknown bass player at least to me, in the name of uh, Teddy Cook. I'm not familiar. Wasn't familiar with Teddy Cook. Uh, so it was kind of a strange deal, and the music sounded different. The guitar playing was pretty cool. Um, it didn't stand out as anything out of the norm or anything that I wouldn't expect to hear. Um, but once I heard that it was a 17-year-old guitar player, of course, my ears kind of like tuned into that, and I was pretty impressed. The soloing seemed pretty pretty mature, and, and overall, it it had a vibe that was close enough to the previous records. It just seemed like there wasn't maybe some chemistry happening there. I, I didn't get the same kind of feeling as the, uh, the previous album. So I kind of put it aside for a long time until I guess about 
maybe a year ago when I was uh, visiting the record stores in town and I happened to find a copy of this on vinyl and I couldn't resist it. So I picked it up, uh, took it home, played it after, I don't know how many years it had been, 1988, is that when it came out? 88, 89, something like that. Uh, so Nine, it had been 90. that long. 90? Oh, okay. Yeah. But, well, I think it had been that about that long. And uh, nothing much has really changed. <laughs> I, I don't, uh, it, it, uh, apart from a few songs, there's nothing really very outstanding about it. It sounds like it lacks inspiration. It sounds very tentative. And I guess that stands to reason because we have new members here. The, the chemistry has sort of been broken down. Um, Dio leads the show, of course. I mean, it's his namesake. Uh, but having done a little research recently in preparation for this podcast, I realized that uh, Vivian, uh, uh, no, um, sorry, uh, Jimmy Bain was involved with the writing uh, to some degree. Um, but there was no Craig Goldie in this. And there was, I don't believe there was any Vinnie Apice in this as well so um for all intents and purposes it's a completely new formula here taking place and one of which includes this 17 year old guitar player rowan robertson um and i guess i'm done do you want to go into the history of the uh of rowan robertson or or shall i you shall i don't really know his history <laughs> okay so rowan robertson is a young guy and uh He's a, a big fan of, of guitar shredders. And, and guitar shredding at this point apparently had was a reasonably new thing. And Rowan Robertson was really into guitar players like uh, like Steve Vai, big fan of Steve Vai. And as such, uh, he was inspired by the story of Steve Vai uh, when Steve Vai hooked up with Frank Zappa. He was a young, inexperienced guitar player who got like the gig of a lifetime. So Rowan Robertson set about trying to do that himself. And... He recorded a, a demo playing along to some Dio songs. Uh, he recorded it on a four-track Tascam recorder. And when he was finished, he, he played through some songs. When he was finished, he continued to solo a little bit and then basically ended the demo. Once he was finished, he mailed it to the record company, Dio's record company, uh, Warner Brothers, and he did receive a rejection letter. But a friend of his told him to you know, don't stop there. Keep going. Keep, you know, fight the good fight. So he submitted it again to the fan club. And this time, uh, Wendy Dio actually called him back. So it, it's pretty it's pretty amazing that one fan out of who knows how many submissions records this demo. It's very similar to the Zach Wilde story, except I think this is even a little bit more in keeping with the rock star movie sort of vibe where this is like a complete total unknown guy and he's very young and very inexperienced, but he lands the gig. And so they fly him out to LA he meets Dio. Uh, he has a formal audi audition. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Jimmy Bain is present. He's kind of overseeing the thing and, and Rowan's playing and, and Dio's encouraging him and, and before he gets started with his audition, Dio's like, well, I really want this to work. So um, don't worry, you know, just do your best and we'll, we'll go from there. Just just give me your best. So he auditions, he gets the gig 
and uh, pretty much he's he's in the band and he's writing with Dio and he co-wrote co-wrote this album with Ronnie James Dio, 17 year old kids. Pretty extraordinary. But when I say he co-wrote it, basically what the writing process was at this point was so Rowan would come up with riffs. He'd record them and Dio would pick the ones he liked uh structure some vocal melodies and then they would get together and i'm assuming that jimmy was also involved in this process then they would start to flesh out and make it a song but having said that that's how this album came to be we have we don't we don't have vivian campbell anymore we, we don't have Vinny. We, we have jimmy i'm not sure in what capacity but predominantly the songwriting team here is rowan robertson and Ronnie James Dio. And uh, and I think that as cool as that is, and as kind of fairy tale as it as it may be, it it's not very good. <laughs> and the songs suffer from uh what I would consider to be some some lack of inspiration. I mean, it's not to say that the whole album's you know a dud. I mean, there there's some pretty cool songs, and as we go song to song, we'll we'll talk about them. Um, but the one thing that I noticed is that the guitar tone in particular is really, it's really kind of mid range and dull sounding. And he uses an, I'm not a guitar player, but when doing research, I found an interview with Rowan Robertson in guitar magazine, guitar world or something like that. And he was talking about how, um, he wanted to use his, his effective choice as a boss over super overdrive pedal. And the uh, when he went into the studio, he insisted on using it. And the engineer is it Andy, Andy Price, the producer. Tony Platt is the other producer. Tony Platt, yeah. Tony Tony Platt told him that if he did that, if he used that effect in the studio, it would kind of put a veil over things. Uh, but Rowan didn't care. Um, or maybe he did, but he didn't feel he was capable of playing without it. So in the studio, he went armed with his Boss Overdrive digital effects pedal. And maybe it's because I know that, but I, I always suspected there was something off with the guitar. And now that I know it's this this digital effect pedal, I, I can hear it. It, it. it overwhelms my enjoyment of this, of this record. This guitar tone is just very monotone he's a great player there's a lot of really cool licks of soloing um if you didn't know he was 17 or 18 whatever the time i mean he was 17 i guess when he when he sent the submission in and i guess probably 18 by the time all was said and done but if you didn't know he was so young you you wouldn't suspect it because his, his playing is, is is really good but there is this um this overall tone that just sort of takes takes a lot away from what you would normally be able to appreciate with maybe just a slighter brighter tone or or a more refined tone and and i guess that 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 qualifies as part of the inexperience that he has here um at this point in time too like he's he's dependent on guitar effects he's not he's, he's not experienced enough to be able to just you know plug into an amp and and just use a natural distortion from the amp head or whatever it is that the producer or the the engineer would, would tell him to do to create a better sound he's still kind of holding on to this guitar digital effect 
pedal as a as a security blanket and 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 i think that it kind of ruins the album for me in a way um so there's that and and i think also there's this this overall mid tempo there's a couple songs that has has have a good energy um but overall it seems like it's just kind of mid tempo walking through the songs and and not very exciting um so listening to it again before we we started this i i was hoping that i would be like i was uh, that i'd have a change of heart that i would be like oh, you know this is a great album uh i can't say it's a bad album but i i haven't reached a point where i can say it's it's a great album there's there's obvious flaws that i that i just can't can't get past so that's where i am with it I did not get this album when it came out. Uh, this came out, and I've mentioned this in previous podcasts, that I had is my years away from metal, as I like to call it, which was like around 89 to, I don't know, you know, the, the 93 or 94 when I graduated high school, was in college, was living in a, an apartment with no television. I was completely out of touch. I don't even think I was aware that this album came out when I discovered and started to get back into metal and started to listen to Dio again, it was with angry machines. And I went backwards then, and I got strange highways and I got lock up the wolves. And this album has never clicked for me. It's my least favorite album of the, in the Dio band catalog. <clears throat> I've tried because I have friends that like this record and I've heard people praise this album I've tried. It seems like every few years I bust this record out thinking maybe there's something I missed about it. Maybe there's something that'll click with me this time. It never does. Uh, getting ready for this podcast, I thought the same thing. You know, maybe maybe something will click. Uh, and as I was listening to this record, I was trying to think, why doesn't this this album work for me? Ronnie sounds great on it. Ronnie is singing his heart out. There's actually some pretty good melody lines from Ronnie. And what I came, the conclusion that I came to is, and, and you mentioned Rowan. Rowan sounds great. He has a lot of really cool leads. But there's, like you mentioned, there's way too many mid-tempo and slow songs. Now, me and you are both fans of doom metal, we're obviously Black Sabbath fans. We're sitting here on a Black Sabbath podcast, so we have nothing against slow tunes, slow songs, but these songs are just too slow and boring. The riffing is too like blues-based or something for me. It just sounds like kind of stock blues licks a lot of times in the main riffs. None of the main riffs jump out at me. Uh, so the conclusion that I came to it because it's hard for me to really pinpoint exactly what is wrong with this album, why I don't like it. And I think for me, it's, it's missing the original band. It's missing the strong personalities of the original band. So 10 to 15% of the problem is that Vinnie Appice isn't playing drums on this record. Simon Wright, in my opinion, is a very boring drummer. He worked in ACDC. I find his playing very boring with Dio. Uh, 
And it just as a, as a little note, I did read that or an interview with Rowan Robertson where he said that when he first joined the band, it was still Jimmy Bain, Claude Schnell, and and Vinny. And Jimmy and Claude sort of dropped out rather early in the process, but Vinny was actually there till like a few weeks before they went in to record the album. So Vinny was, I guess, there. You wouldn't know it. I don't know if Simon Wright just came in and just completely did his own thing. The drums to me are boring. So 10 to 15% of the problem is you're missing Vinny Apice. You're missing his drum sound. You're missing his unique style of playing. Uh, another 15% of the problem or so is missing Jimmy Bain. His bass has a very unique sound. His playing is very unique. The bass on this album is there's I don't there's nothing I don't hear it. I mean it's there, but it's not really adding anything to the songs for me. Jens Johansson is on keyboards. You can barely hear him. Jens is a very accomplished keyboard player. He played with Ingve Malmsteen. Uh, he's a very technical keyboard player and you can barely, barely hear him on this album. So when you add all those things up and you don't have Vivian Campbell, you don't have Vivian's unique riffing and unique soloing style, you really sense it, you miss it. And uh, as much as I love Ronnie, as much as I believe that Ronnie James Dio is the ultimate heavy metal vocalist, this proves to me that Ronnie needs a strong guitar player to, to work with. He can't carry the load himself. Before this, he had Vivian. He had Craig Goldie. He had Tony Iommi. He had Richie Blackmore. And here we get these songs that they're all just kind of... When I think of this album, I think of stale and flat and running on empty uh, there's a lot of things that probably could have worked with the original band but here it just lacks chemistry and again it's not that there's great lead playing on here there's great guitar playing in general but there's just nothing that jumps out you mentioned the guitar tone the guitar tone for me is just really boring it's just real kind of stock late 80s guitar sound it just doesn't jump out jump out at me uh this the, the songwriting in general just seems really forced it sounds sounds like ronnie is just trying to put these mediocre songs on his back and trying to lift them up to something more than what they are and it it's just a herculean task that ronnie is just not able to pull off. And again, he sat there's one thing I came away listening to this, getting ready for the podcast was this Ronnie sounds amazing on this. He's yeah, singing his good. he's singing his heart out. He's really, really trying. But for me, it's just like something is just not clicking. And I have to just think that it's probably just the chemistry here with uh with the band. It just it just didn't work. And it's uh there's way too many slow songs. Uh, there's way too many things that just, it, the riffs just don't jump out at you. There is no king of rock and roll. There is no uh, uh, rock and roll children. There is no last in line or we rock or just these songs that really jump out at you. Even like the deep cuts on the other albums, One Night in the City or Invisible. I mean, there's right. nothing There's nothing that approaches that. And when you really sit back and you start thinking about Ronnie's catalog, I, I mean, 
forget about, yeah, there's nothing on this record that approaches one night in the city. Forget about there's nothing that comes within the same universe as like heaven and hell or sign of the Southern cross or stargazer or, you know, gates of Babylon. I mean, this is like, no, it's nothing anywhere near that. And it just feels like, uh, it, it and this was a weird time for heavy metal. Metal, as as you mentioned, had was fully into the thrash sound, and and metal was branching out into all these different sounds. Death metal is bubbling, and uh, so this kind of like traditional metal, as much as I love traditional metal, uh, I don't know. It just didn't seem to really work and i think and you can't help but think about ozzy and where ozzy was at this point ozzy had already released no rest for the wicked and i think about zach's playing on no rest for the wicked and the way some of those riffs just jump out of the speakers at you miracle man and you know uh demon alcohol tattoo dance i mean these riffs just come flying out of the speakers at you and really just like grab your attention yeah and here it's like just sort of the opposite the riffs are just very forgettable it's a it's very hard for me to even remember half of these songs it listening to this album for me is such a slog uh the only i i I can't remember buying the cd i probably bought it sometime in like 70 97 98 something like that but i do remember putting it on my ipod i had just gotten an ipod ipods had just come out and at the time i used to jog and i said to myself i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna get into this album i'm really going to give this album a chance and i remember listening to it while i was jogging and trying and i just remember at one point just giving up and just being like i can't get into this i just i can't find anything i i I find very little to to enjoy about this record it's my least favorite in the do catalog i i never feel the urge uh to pick it up and uh and, and and that's it for me. And it's it's really it's not a case of me not trying. It's not a case of like oh well, I just bought this three years ago. I mean I've had it since the late '90s. Every couple of years I, I I try to bust it out and listen to it. When I eventually got it on vinyl, which was really probably not that long ago, maybe like ten or twelve years ago, I got it on vinyl. I tried to listen to it again, and it just it just uh, never never clicked for me. So. That's where yeah. I'm at with this album. <laughs> you know, and, and hindsight is twenty twenty. We're, we're talking about this this album in historical context of things that were bubbling. Uh, death metal was really starting to um, come up, and you know, your Swedish death metal, you the Florida death metal. Um, Nineteen ninety, that was really starting to, to to bubble up, and that was pretty exciting. And then you had, you know, you, you had grunge, you know, on the other end of the spectrum. But what I mean when I say that hindsight is 2020, I can I can think of what should have been done at this point to sustain somebody in a, a in a traditional metal context. And that is to do what you do as best as you can. Now is the time to get that all your ducks in a row, get a, an an amazing band take the time get this band get the chemistry right get the personalities get everything get all the stars aligned and just give it hell that's what should have happened now 
maybe it, it, it maybe it would have been a game changer. Maybe it wouldn't have, but it certainly would have been a better plan of action than what it seems like took place here. And that was to just basically at this particular point in time move forward with a completely new band. So you're you're starting from scratch at a time that's, that's the most volatile for a traditional metal band. So, so you have that. And, and then you're working with an inexperienced guitar player. And we, we were to, and I was talking about, you know, always he's young. Um, but keep in mind, I mean, Vivian Campbell was young too. Vivian Campbell was what? He was 19, I think. Yeah, so um, was Zach. Zach was Zach, only like 20 or something when he joined but, Ozzy. Yeah, but you got, I mean, what Zach contributed to Ozzy was like, it was just a shot of adrenaline. And likewise, that's what Vivian did. I mean, we're, we're talking about, well, when you're talking about Ozzy, you're talking about something that had happened after Ozzy was already established. But, you know, he gets a guitar player and just boom, like a shot of adrenaline. Now, Dio, of course, started with Vivian. So he was, you know, he helped lay the groundwork and, and, put put the Dio band on the map so you had that um but as you said there was just more of an energy there was just more of a you 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 mentioned one night in the city as like none of the song even a deep track that maybe one of the ones that I would typically skip over even that is it, it is far greater than any of the songs on this album so the thing about this is it was just really poor timing to have to go through this, what seemed like maybe a period of self-doubt, um, maybe a period of, of just having an overall attitude change with, you know, some of the lyrical content seems a little different. You know, when we were talking about that in the last, uh, when we talked about Dream Evil, that we started to get away from some of the more whimsical themes and and in imagery and move into a more reality-based context. And here we're on this album, we're moving forward with that even some more. Um, and from the vantage, uh, vantage point that we have now, where we see before we see this album, we see what is to come later. Uh, I could say that strange highways comes in after the dehumanizer. Some of the, the feelings and the attitudes and the, and the reality-based lyrics that are starting to form here, or maybe a continuation of Dream Theater, but maybe, or, or uh, I'm sorry, Dream Evil. Maybe they're they're moving a little bit further ahead on Lock Up the Wolves, but by the time we get to Strange Highways, it's that it transitions to like anger and power, and it makes for a really strong album. And that was a that was a slow grower for me too. But when I compare Strange Highways to this the difference is pretty profound. At least there seems you may not agree with the direction that Dio was taking on strange highways, but you can't, you can't not say that it wasn't inspired, that it didn't sound inspired. And the inspiration seemed to be anger with this one. There's really very little emotional content. Uh, you, you mentioned that Dio sings really well. He does. And he sings great. I, when I was just listening to it a little while ago, I was thinking, you know what, <laughs> for all its foibles, Dio sounds great. Uh, he he is a little bit of the old Dio, but his voice is clear. The melodies are good. You could tell that he's really, you know, he's he's singing his heart out. He's he's at least inspired with the the melodies that he's written and how he wants to sing them. That comes across. That comes across 
pretty confidently, but I can't imagine a deal would ever do anything that wasn't confident. But it's not enough to save the album. Uh, we we have this guitar player. While he is good, I can't imagine that of all the uh, submissions that they received, that he was the best. Um, and even after that first audition, I don't know. Maybe something transitioned between that first audition or the audition where he got the gig until they entered the studio, or maybe it was during the mixing process of the master. I don't know. But I can't imagine that there wasn't somebody better that sent in, in a submission that would have worked with Dio and, and made a better album. I think that, that Rowan, Rowan Robertson is, is a good guitar player, probably better than anyone his age. Um, but he doesn't have that X factor. He doesn't have that special something that goes beyond talent that is that sort of personality or that drive or that creative force that can just get in there with Dio and just make an amazing album because this it's just not it's not an amazing album in any way, shape, or form. And that's exactly what they needed to have at that particular point in time. They needed to have an amazing album and it failed. Luckily Dio would get the call from Sabbath and he would kind of like, you know, uh move on to to better things, sort of. Uh but again, you know, we'll, we'll get into that. But that was also sort of plagued by its context and musical history. But um I don't know where they would have gone from this. I I don't know what would have happened if there hadn't been the experience, you know, the the reunion with with uh, with Dio and Tony and Geezer and Vinny, and um, and then what led to I guess probably some of the the bad feelings that went into Strange Highways. If, if those if if that hadn't happened, I I wonder where we would have gone from this album. Where I mean, would it have been another album, even even more mediocre, even less inspired? What would it have? Something needed to happen to put the fire to light a fire. And as history records, I mean, we you know, like I just mentioned, we had the Sabbath thing, and then you know, we got Tracy G after that, and 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 things definitely changed their course, but. I just wonder where would he would Dio have ended his career? Would he have? I don't know. It, it's because I don't think that there's a lot, a lot of gas in the tank after this album. Um, th this seemed like it was sort of the death knell <laughs> to me, you know. And by in comparison to to everything that came before it, you know, we can talk about Dream Evil and and overall, I think our our review of that or our our synopsis of that was pretty positive. But, you know, we didn't put it as high as the, the Vivian Campbell records, but, you know, I think overall, we, we both liked it. Um, I, I think it's pretty much safe to say that we don't really like this album very much. As, as kind as I'd like to be, because I love Dio, I love his voice, and I I, I certainly, I, I have a uh, kind of emotional uh, appreciation for the for the Rowan, Ac Rowan Robertson, I keep wanting to say Rowan Atkinson, Rowan Robertson uh, story. But um, not enough to save it for me. So this would have been the time, in my opinion, for him to change uh, direction. I th I think that if Ozzy is going to do this in uh, in ninety one, Ozzy's next record, No More Tears, Ozzy sort of changes his his sound, and Ozzy enters the nineties, just a slightly different Ozzy. Uh, 
this would have been the time, for instance, if now I mentioned the slow plotting songs on here, I'm a, this is something that is going to plague all the Dio albums from here out. But I think that it works on when Tracy G is in the band, because Tracy G is a very unique guitar player. Some people didn't like his sound and the way he played and everything, but he jumped out at you. And also Vinny Apice is back in the band for Strange Highways and Angry Machines. And Jeff Pilsen to me is a much more interesting bass player than uh, the bass playing on, on this album. But if, if the band had done Strange Highways in 1990, that would have been actually kind of a forward thinking record. It would have been like a real, wow, this is a real sort of sludgy, grungy, you know, to use yeah. the, the word heavy, grungy, sludgy. Uh, uh, you know, robotic in, industrial, not in the sense of like industrial electronic music, but it, that kind of like really heavy sludgy type of sound. And it would have been ahead of its, ahead of its time. And I think it would have brought Dio into the nineties a lot better. Whereas this just kind of feels like he's trying to rely on the old cliches and they're just not working. The band doesn't have enough personality to to carry this it's just not there and again when there's moments on this record where there's like where i just think think to myself man is if Vinny apathy was here he would have done and okay uh rowan rowan has uh his own youtube channel where he plays through a lot of these songs and i was uh listening to uh gosh what was the song was it hey angel I'm drawing a blank now. There was one of the, it might've been Lock Up the Wolves, uh, where he said he had a different guitar solo originally, and he had a rehearsal recording of them. And Vinny is playing on the rehearsal uh, version. And you hear Vinny doing like all these like cool little things, changing the, the flipping the beat around, just doing really, really interesting things. And I was like, wow, okay, that like confirms to me like what I had been thinking that if Vinny was here, I mean, it wouldn't have totally solved this album, but it might've helped. And if Jimmy Bain was playing on the record, it might've, it would have helped. And if the guitar riffs were a little more exciting, it would have helped. And and it disproves the point. Vivian Campbell says that, now he always says that Wendy Dio when when Vivian was let go from the band, he believed that Wendy felt like the band was all about Ronnie. It didn't really matter who else was there. It was all about Ronnie. And granted, yeah, Ronnie is a huge, huge, huge part of, of the band. But this proves to me that it's not just about Ronnie. He really needs a unique guitar player, whether that's Tracy G., Vivian Campbell, Tony Iommi, Richie Blackmore. He needs to have that to, to, to make it work. And, and on here, it just doesn't, uh, you know, it just, it just doesn't work. And when we get into the songs, uh, you know, I can talk a little bit more specifically about it, but this would have been a good time for him to change his sound a little bit, to change his image. I, so I, I sort of disagree a little where you said he should have, you know, doubled down on the traditional metal thing. I think now was the time for him to change and for him to sort of move forward, maybe 
like the way Ozzy did. Not to completely change what he's doing, but Ozzy adjusted himself with uh, No More Tears and it carried him through the 90s. Whereas this is an album that it's not a forward thinking album. It's it's an album that sounds like something from 84 or 85 that some middle of the road metal band could have put out. Uh, so it's it's sad, it's disappointing because I love Ronnie and it's hearing hearing Ronnie sing as great as he does. That's always a treat. But man, when the songs just aren't here, this it's uh it it's just it's a difficult album for me to listen to from beginning to end. I have to take this album in chunks because it's really hard to listen to this from uh from top to bottom because it's it's just such a so sluggish at times and it's just like the songs just never quite click. They never really you never really feel like yeah, this is really working and maybe it's not a knock necessarily on Rowan for instance, because he does sound like a great guitar player, but maybe it's just, again, like a chemistry thing. It just didn't click, I'm guessing, because he was so young. He probably came into the situation and really just listened and whatever Ronnie said, he probably did. And in fact, I mentioned this video where I wish I could remember the song. I'm pretty sure it was Lock Up the Wolves. His alternate solo is amazing. It's like this neoclassical sounding thing it sounds like Ingve or randy rhodes yeah. i was like floored and the he solo that needed it and the solo that's on the song is this very sort of blues based type of thing and it kind of made me think like gee i wonder if you know rowan uh, maybe he had a little bit more flash and and fire to his playing but maybe ronnie kind of reined him in a little bit and sort of made him go in more of a bluesy uh, direction and I just always assumed that well that's I guess Rowan's style he's this sort of blues uh, blues based style but when I heard this alternate solo I was like whoa this is like some sort of really cool neoclassical like maybe Randy Rhodes mixed with Ingve Malmsteen I was like I was floored so I don't know you know I don't know where where things there's probably a multitude of things that 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 went wrong on this on this record or just the stars didn't line up and it's one of those weird things that uh, uh sometimes it's just a chemistry thing i mean it's it's almost like you know what it reminds me of it reminds me of all these super groups that you hear all the time they're all great players and great singers and and everything and then they get together and you're just kind of like ah this is just doesn't work you know it's okay it's nothing more than okay and that's kind of what's happening here everybody's great players but it just doesn't it doesn't work for me at least (laughs) yeah you know winery dogs comes to mind actually um when you're talking about the super groups that are just sound kind of uninspired or or good but not really great uh that solo in the interview that I read with Rowan, he mentions that Ronnie hated and he said it like hated, hated the solo that he originally had for Lock Up the Wolves. And he had something else in mind. And he basically told Rowan he wanted something of a more traditional, classic sounding, not classical, but classic sounding in, in the vein of a Tony Iommi. And he, he basically told Rowan what to play. Um, the second half of the solo that's on the album, Rowan said, was 
a compromise. So I did it half Ronnie's way, and the second half, I did it my yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, he mentions that. And um, yeah, I, I I can hear the difference. It's a little bit, you know, and actually of, of the two parts, the second part that apparently is Rowan's is better. The first part is just boring. It's more like it's a um, like a uh, melody solo. It it doesn't really have any uh, any content as far as like anything interesting. It's, it's sort of holding notes from from what I from what I remember, and it's just sort of very forgettable until you get to the second half, and then it kind of lightens up, and you know, there's some really what sounds like pretty inspired playing. So. I guess you. I guess you have to blame uh, Ronnie for that. When you said that, you know, you it's hard to get through this because it's sort of like just monotonous. Wait until we get to Master of the Moon. <laughs> that's gonna be a that's gonna be a fun one too. Oh yeah, and this is something like I said that sort of plagues uh, that that plagues from here on out. These really like just mid tempo slow songs and they work when the guitar player has a lot of personality there's yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of slow heavy stuff on dehumanizer but it works because it's tony iomi and Vinny apice and geezer butler and for me it works on strange highways and angry machines because of tracy g and his sort of quirky weird riffs and everything uh but i don't know it just uh here it's just it just doesn't click so all right well shall we move into the songs then we shall okay so the album opens with wild one and here we're saying about uh you know there's too many uh too many slow ones but here you get your 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 i guess it's your tradition at this point every do album opens up with a upbeat fast one and now, when you compare it to all the other album openers up to this point, this, I mean, it isn't bad. It's its one of the better ones on the record. They had a video for this. The riff is very bluesy and kind of like a Van Halen bluesy way. Like he's almost like, sounds like he's almost finger picking kind of the lick there. It's sort of this plucky kind of fast bluesy riff. And uh, it's got a lot of energy, I guess. It's, it's one of the better ones on the record. It's, but again, when you're used to albums that open up with songs like We Rock and Stand Up and Shout or King of, King of Rock and Roll, this one just kind of feels like, uh, I don't know. I just remember the first time I heard it, I was sort of struck by how like bluesy it sounded, like picking blues licks, like fast blues licks. Again, like you might hear Eddie Van Halen do, but maybe not as interesting as Eddie, Eddie would throw in some really weird technique to it, a squeal or a dive bomb or some finger tap thing. Whereas this is just like kind of a fast, fast blues lick, but as it stands, it's, it's one of the better ones on the album for me. I think it's always a good choice for the first song on the album to be something that has some more, uh, that has a good energy that has a driving feel to it. Uh, Wild One has that quality, but it's not good enough to open the album. It doesn't. When when you listen to it, you put it on, you hear the riff, and it's like, okay, it's just cool. Then as the song moves along, you realize it's just not really 
very interesting. It's just not really great. It would actually be better. You know, you could probably, and as I was listening to it a little while ago, I was thinking this album could be better if you rearrange the sequence. Um, th there's a couple songs. I, I also think the album's too long. Uh, I think you could you could probably omit two songs and make it eight stronger songs. Yeah. Um, the ones that should be omitted, well, I'll point out as we go along. But I think if you take out, if you omit two of these songs and you rearrange the sequence, you're not going to be able to fix some of the the writing issues or or the or the, the guitar tone issues but you can probably get a better flow of this material i think this album among other things suffers from a bad sequence um wild one would be a good song to put at the end of side one or maybe the beginning of side two or at the end of side two although i probably wouldn't put it at the end of side two but i i, I wouldn't open up with a wild one even though it has that prerequisite fast song let's open up with a fast song how many do we have oh we got three of them oh okay well let's how about wild one all right and that's what they did um but it doesn't really get the juices flowing uh so right from there it's kind of off to a not so great start so all right now the cd track listing is different than the vinyl uh track listing oh. so we'll was that? I said, oh. Yeah, yeah. On the CD, the next song is Born on the Sun. But uh, for the vinyl, it is uh, Hey Angel. And okay. this was another one that I believe was one of the singles on the album. And uh, yes, Hey Angel was a single from the, from the album. Uh, this one's okay. The chorus is catchy. I guess uh, it's again, it suffers a little bit from it just seems to lack that little bit of extra energy to it or something. The verse is very like plotting or something. Yeah. Not, not that Ronnie does, hasn't done that in the past, like, but when he did it in the past, it was like the song Holy Diver or something where it's just got this real like powerful, groove to it and it, and this has that same kind of formula where in the verse everything drops down a little bit and ronnie's singing you know kind of like he does in heaven and hell or holy diver but it just kind of feels boring here it just doesn't feel that exciting and the chorus is pretty good i do like the chorus on this one and i can see how this was picked as a as a single because it does have a really good chorus but uh it just never completely gets off the ground for me. It's a good song. I, I like it. Um, it. It's one of the ones that I would say that I would pull off this album and put on a compilation if I had to have a career retrospective, cover all the albums and pick a couple from this album. I, I would, I would, I would pick Hey Angel. It's a good one. Uh, so it kind of like, you know, you get your wild one. And you're like, okay, well, you know, this, this isn't great, but it's not bad. And then you get to Hey Angel, and it's like, okay, now we're now we're getting now we're getting there. Now we're getting into something. Th that's my feeling with this song. Like it's it's good, but it's just getting things, or it should be getting things, a little bit moving along in a better direction. So it it has that feel like it's going to take off from this point on, uh, but it really doesn't. 
curious though with with you you said the cd had i don't have the cd i did have the cassettes when i first bought it on but that's been long gone i don't remember what the sequence is maybe similar to or maybe the same as the cd chances are in 1990 1989 i keep spacing on the year of this what is it 1989 or is it 90 90 uh yeah we're already well underway with the cd being the uh the format of choice so maybe that the proper sequence is on the cd and this sequence was figured out because of the time issues with vinyl maybe they had to like switch things around and they figured well you know it's 1990 and most people are going to be buying the cd anyway so what does it really matter um it's unfortunate because it, what i've been listening to is is the vinyl version so when i when i reference the sequence as being a, a bit lackluster that that may be something that they were aware of but just sort of figured well that it didn't really matter but it matters to me <laughs> and especially well, when it's, you know yeah if we look at the way that they did it then i guess we can talk about born on the sun because the way it's sequenced on the cd is wild one then born on the sun then hey angel and born on the sun Although that wasn't a single, it sounds like one that, that could have been a single. I believe this was one that he played live on the tour. Uh, this is actually has a writing credit with Jimmy Bain, Vinnie Appice, Rowan, and Dio. So it must have been one that was probably written early on in the process. Uh, good chorus again. This is one that kind of works for me. I like Born on the Sun. It's got a pretty powerful, you know big chorus to it uh so yeah okay so are we are we going to move we're going to move forward with the cd sequence or are we going to keep with the uh the record sequence uh what what do you want to do you want to do the record or uh we'll, we'll do the cd but you're going to have to i don't have the cd with me for reference okay. so you're going to have to just start with the songs um okay so the born on the sun is my favorite song on this album uh, but the first time I heard it, I thought, wow, this is a strange sounding song. It sounds like the chorus is a little bit premature or it sounds like the song is a little bit underdeveloped. But I like it. I like the melody. And over time, it's grown on me. But I still do come back to that that feeling that this song is just slightly underdeveloped. There's something about it just just feels a little bit awkward. And when the chorus comes in or or maybe it's the way that the chorus itself is just structured, it it, it doesn't. It doesn't really correspond with the rest of the song. It's just like, almost like it was written from the chorus out. Like, here's the chorus. I, I, ha I have an idea for a melody, and it'll be a chorus, and I want to start with this, and then we'll, we'll work from there, and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll work a verse and a bridge, and, and it, you, we'll, we'll figure out the arrangement from that point on. Because the chorus in and of itself is great. But when it comes from the beginning of the song up to that point, it's like, whoa, what? that's strange okay but it's cool i like it but wow it and it comes again it sort of sneaks up on you it's like i didn't i i still i i'm not prepared for that but um and that's just me i guess i don't i don't know i and i, I still had that feeling from the first time i heard it until now it, it, it still does i mean i'm used to it it's not as jarring as it was but i really like it i i think it's cool and at this point i kind of appreciate it's uh it's awkwardness as, as being something unique and it kind of gives it a little bit more character, a little bit more flavor than most of the other songs on the album. So again, uh, when, when I talk about songs, a couple songs that I would pull up and put on a compilation, uh, Born on the Sun, probably be the first one I'd pick. 
It's a good song. Yeah, it's Didn't definitely even... one of the stronger ones on the album. All right, uh, Between Two Hearts. Now, this is a perfect example of the problem that I have with this album. <laughs> it starts off really cool with that, like, pick guitar and Ronnie singing kind of soft and everything. And you're getting ready for this big, like, in in, in the song Last in Line, you know, we're a ship without, you know, Ronnie nope. singing underneath the pick guitar. And you're ready for this big explosion. Yeah, that type mm -hmm. of thing where the song just really kicks in and it just... Boom. falls off of, yeah it just falls like lead lead yeah, shoes no. or something man it is <laughs> it, it the riff is so sluggish it's so just kind of stock blues like it's just like a a boring blues lick and it's so disappointing because the intro is like this nice setup and you're getting ready for this for something it feels like something dramatic and 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 big and intense is coming and then like the tempo just drops into that slow plodding blues riff and the guitar even doesn't have any kind of bite or, or power to it and even when the chorus kicks in, it doesn't really kick in. It's just like the song never really gets there. It's just like it it gets stuck in second gear or something, and it's just never able to get out of it. It's just it's so boring that the the, the main riff the it's so plotting. It's it, if I didn't know any better, I'd think that like they played to a click track and it like forced them to play real sluggish and real slow and 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 simon wright is just so boring whereas vinnie apathy is the king of making slow grew slow riffs sound interesting you know yeah. if this was vinnie apathy we'd have that big crack, you know vinnie's drum sound yeah, maybe like a, one of his classic slow fills, I call him, doo, 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 you know, something like that with his big Tom sound and everything. Sure. But here it's just plodding and boring and it's so disappointing. And this gets back to what I can't help but think again, this chemistry thing, like the intro to the song is a cool intro. And you could just picture like, Vivian and Vinny and Jimmy Bain just doing something different with this. And instead we sort of get, we get this, which is just a very plodding, a very boring song. We're, we're, if you're on the CD version here, we're on, we're on song number four. If you're on the vinyl, this is the third song on the album, which is usually like where you, where your heavy hitter is your big song is usually like song number three and here we get a song yeah. that is just oh it shouldn't even have been on the record at least of all this this high up in the record if it had to be on the record it should have been buried as like the second to last song or something <laughs> well I, yeah i mean I, I think you're right and it should have just been omitted i i, I hate top loading records so that it almost feels like if you don't like if, if if you're burying it at the end of the record then chances are it shouldn't be on the record. So, I mean, I would opt to just take it off, but you're right. Um, my thoughts pretty much exactly. It starts off and, and, and on, on vinyl, it's, it's the third song. So I'm thinking, okay, well, Hey, hey Angel's cool. You know, we're getting, we're rolling along here and then it starts off. And then uh, between two hearts starts off with a softer, 
picked guitar and I'm thinking, okay, man, this is going to really, this is going to explode here. This is going to be like a, a, a don't talk to strangers or something. And, and of course it will, because that was a perfect placement for this song. We're, we're moving up. And we're, and this is the center centerpiece of, of, of the first side. So, I mean, this is, you, you know, there's going to be fireworks here in a second. And like you said, it just, instead of doing that, it just drops into this boring stock riff. Yes, it's bluesy, but it's not creative. It's it's just by the numbers. It's just plodding along. It's a decent melody that corresponds. It's great singing by Dio, but I don't know if it's just the whole disappointment factor that it didn't go where it I wanted it to or arguably maybe where it should have gone. But the fact that it's there and I'm disappointed and I'm almost kind of mad at the song for doing what it's doing. <laughs> I can't, I can't embrace anything that could otherwise be considered good about it. It's just ruined. And, um, you know, when you talk about Dio's attitude towards dream evil as being an album that he didn't really care for because he felt the songs were underdeveloped. I think one by one, as we go through this album, we're going to be able to cite most of all, if not every single one, as being or having qualities of being an underdeveloped song. I mean, even like I said, on Born on the Sun, as much as I love it, I, it just feels like it's it's not complete, that it it, it, it was maybe a, an early draft. Um, this song is just, it's a bad idea. It's I think, The intro thing is, it's certainly, it's nothing foreign to Dio. I, and, and we like it, even though we've heard it before. I mean, it's cool. I mean, it's cool when you have like a song that starts out so last in line, you know, it's, but you're, it's so cool because you know, it just gives that, that, that pow part of the song or that part that takes lift off so much more impact when it starts off slow and delicate. And it's almost a cliche, but it's a cliche that I'm pretty comfortable with. I, I don't mind that cliche. Uh, and, and maybe I guess you could argue and say, yeah, but they didn't do that because it's, it's so cliche yeah but it works and it's dio's thing it's almost kind of yeah. like his signature you know I yeah mean, it's almost like a anybody's gonna trademark. do it if anybody's gonna do it dio should do it because he does it so well but it's a very disappointing song and and for that reason i i it, this would be one i would take off the album altogether so all right well next is uh night music and this one is kind of the reverse. the The riff at the beginning is very boring. It's just sort of reminds me of something you might hear Angus Young play. The way Angus sort of finger picks, uh, plucks the notes sometimes, like put the yeah. finger on you, like that kind of thing. But it's slow. It's boring. The song kicks up a little bit in energy, but again, it's it's another song that just the DNA of it, the chemistry. It's like it's like the chemicals that they mixed in the beaker for this song just didn't didn't connect. It's like a, a recipe. It's like making a dish. And at the end, it's just like, man, these flavors don't mix. These flavors don't work. This dish doesn't work. Well, yeah. it just doesn't work. And it's weird because it's like you can almost hear elements of classic Dio songs in some of these songs. And this is a good example, like the feel of the verse. It sort of has a rock and roll children kind of feel to it, but it's nowhere near as interesting. It's nowhere near as engaging. It's just, it doesn't, it doesn't grab you in the same way. It's, it's like, 
I can almost picture like Ronnie sitting there and thinking, gosh, I've done this before, but why is it not working now? You know, this Mm -hmm. is a, this is my, this is a stock move, man. This is, this is like a, you know, a baseball pitcher. This is my pitch. How come everybody's hitting it now, me now? How come it's Mm -hmm. like, just how come it's not working? Because again, if you sort of look at it and it's, it's like, there's a lot of Dio-esque elements to the song and you think, well, why is it not working now? And I don't know, it's just a chemistry, but just these, these puzzle pieces aren't quite fitting together uh, the way that they should. It should have been redrafted. It should have been re-edited. It should have been come at from a different angle or something. I have no idea, but it's, this is a good example of a song where it's hard for me it, it it seems like it has all the elements of a of a good Dio song, but it's not a good song. It doesn't no. it doesn't work. You know? I, I I think part of it is, and I think this is really the one song that I can say. I mean, I'm, I'm overall, I'm pretty impressed with with Rowan and and his guitar riffs and his solos and things. I mean, I you know, like I said early on, if I didn't know he was seventeen. Uh, I would think he was, you know, a guy that had been playing for like 30 years until we get to night music. And it kind of reminds me a little bit of Van Halen. Uh, obviously, I think there's a there's a nod to Eddie Van Halen in this. Um, and that's, that's understandable. He's a young guy and, you know, he's still in the process of worshiping his idols and some of what he listens to. He's probably listening to a lot of music, too. So some of what he's listening to is moving into his his own ideas. But and that's fine. But when, when when he talked about how he would submit 20 to 50 riffs and Dio would pick the ones he wanted to work on, this would this was one of the ones that was obviously presented. And this is probably one that Dio probably should have said next, because it's just not anything like you said, it been there, done that, done it better. It's 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 a it's a regression, digression, I'm sorry. And uh it, it doesn't work on the album. So, <laughs> you know, we're batting a thousand here where I had hoped that things would sort of like take off after Hey Angel. We've just gone to Between Two Hearts, which we both agree we don't like. And now we're into night music and it's just there. It And it's not, it's not good. It, it, it's not up to the, to the quality standards of anything that came before, on any album before. I'm almost embarrassed for Dio to be singing on this song the way that he is with conviction because it's like, dude, you're you're wasting your time. It, it's not <laughs> worth it. It's not worth the effort. So that pretty much sums up night music for me. It's just a waste of time. And it really, really wasn't any, I think it's below Dio, Dio's standards, actually. And and it's weird because, and, and it's also too, it feels to me like, I, I don't feel like his lyrics have moved yet. To me, it, it's like he's stuck in a rut with this. And night music is a good example of this. Like if you just read the lyrics on their own, uh, you're waiting for your life to walk away, writing on a wall. You just dream forever, forever. They sound like classic Dio lyrics, but he's stuck in sort of this rut of like, I don't know, night people and, you know, from dream evil, like just stuck in like he's, he's, he's stuck with certain words and certain phrases that uh, just don't work for him. And, and, and this is where 
Again, with Ozzy, I think that Ozzy or his management realized like, hey, we we really need to move away. Uh, With No More Tears, Ozzy makes a conscious decision to move away from the bats and the dragons and the sort of the sort of lyrical things that he had been singing about up to that up to that point and and it might have served and ronnie does eventually get away from that with dehumanizer even though again we'll talk about this with dehumanizer geezer talks about having to prod ronnie away from this kind of stuff you know kind of pull him away from the rainbows and the dragons and stuff like that uh it just seems like he's just sort of stuck in a in a in a rut here and the lyrics are very which is sad to say with Ronnie because his lyrics were were always so great. They always felt like he was singing to you and singing to the fans. Uh, But here they just, they just don't work. It just doesn't click. No, no. Um, So I I guess now we're going along with CD sequence and is the next song lock up the wolves. Yes. So the next song is lock up the wolves. And we have more boring, plotting music. And when you look at the CD sequence, it's especially brutal because you've got, you just had Between Two Hearts Night Music. Well, actually, it's the same as on the vinyl. You have three songs in a row that are very plotting. And even Born on the Sun, even though we both like Born on the Sun, that one is sort of a mid-tempo tune. But especially when you sit, Hey Angel isn't, is sort of mid-tempo, but Between Two Hearts, Night Music, and Lock Up the Wolves, three slow plotting songs that in a row. And here we have the title track, and usually Dio's title tracks are like I know. Last in Line, Holy Diver, uh, Sacred Heart. They're usually the centerpiece of the album. And here it's it's just... Uh, Again, it's more kind of stock blues type things. That main riff that don't do that da don't. There's just these big yeah. long pauses. Don't do that. And Simon Wright is behind him, just like do, 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 do. You know, it's yeah. so stock. And again, I mentioned that Rowan playing the demo of Vinny. I would love to hear the whole demo with Vinny playing this because what he plays under the solo is so interesting. He's playing like these fast, snare roles and he's just propelling the song along whereas Simon Wright just sounds like he's just playing the bare, bare minimum and that might have worked in ACDC, but here we just need more and it's another song that just plods along the chorus is pretty decent there's ah, man there's these moments in the song where it's like lock up the wolves and the guitar does these like like these i guess it's supposed to be like a wolf sound or something (laughs) but it's like so just doesn't work and it's like ah man it's like dragging it's like dragging a wheelbarrow through mud or something. It's just, yeah. it's just, it never, it never gets moving. And again, if this was in the hands of Tony Iommi and Geezer Butler, 
they could probably, you know, Matt, I could hear Sabbath making this intro, down, 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 and Vinny, you know, I could hear Iomi's big, massive guitar sound and, and Geezer with a bass fill or Tony mm-hmm. or a Vinny with a cool, like, you know, drum fill yeah. to sort of move this along. I mean, Sabbath, the kings of like, uh, moving mountains sounding riffs uh, yeah. but here it just it just it just doesn't work it sounds weak and it's part of the guitar tone we've mentioned the guitar tone already it really stands out for me in, in spots like this and the keyboards are so far buried yeah. Yeah. it's like I, I don't get them? it yeah no. why even have them it's like you, you almost can't even hear it and the times you do hear it it's kind of like what is that it's almost like because it's so far distant and back and here you have Yen Yo- Jens Johansson who's just amazing like keyboard player and you're just yeah. having the guy play one finger keyboard lines buried somewhere deep deep in the mix so totally disappointing you know when it comes to you it, when, I, when I talk about big this is usually this, the spot in the album where man it is so hard for me to get I want to bail on the record right here. It's like, I've had enough. I'm, I'm pulling the emergency sh- eject. Yeah. I'm ejecting out of the plane here yeah, at this point. Yeah. Cause it, it's just, it's not going anywhere for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, exactly. The only reason I, that I keep hanging on is because I want to get to born on the sun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but and unfortunately yeah. on the CD, we've already passed it. <laughs> yeah. Right. So w- when you said that, you know, you could hear, this song improved by having Tony Iommi and Geezer Butler and, and Vinnie Apice playing on it. You basically described what I would consider to be maybe a third of the material on the album, Heaven and Hell, the band Heaven and Hell, The Devil You Know. There's a lot of that, that sort of thing going on on that album. And it, it works better, although I'm not crazy about that album, but if you have to have that sort of song where it's it's not a very exciting riff it's more of a plotting it's more of a brooding kind of creeping type of vibe it works better with those guys doing it it doesn't work with this band and and i'm gonna just take take a minute here i'm, I'm looking at the inner sleeve in the album and i, I never realized this before because i i really haven't paid much attention to the inner sleeve because the printing is so minuscule it's 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 incredible how you even get up on it this small but there's a description there's a picture of of each band member and there's a description next to the picture because i was looking at the bobby cook picture i'm trying to think where is this guy from it looks a little bit like bobby rondinelli but then as i my eyes went down a little bit i could see that there's a description saying it explains who he is so i'm gonna start at the top i'm gonna start at the top and you got Ronnie James Dio vocals, obviously. Um, and in case you didn't know, Ronnie James Dio has recorded five albums with Rainbow, including Richie Blackmore's Rainbow, Rainbow Rising, Long Live Rock and Roll, and three albums with Black Sabbath, Heaven and Hell, Mob Rules, and Live Evil. Ronnie James Dio formed his own band in 1982 and released Holy Diver, The Last in Line, Sacred Heart, and Dream Evil. So that's weird. Talking about he has formed his own band. Well, this is yeah, this is his band. That's <laughs> obvious. Yeah. Um, then we move down to Rowan Robertson, 
guitars. 18 years old and born in Cambridge, England, he amazingly started playing at the age of five and was selected from 5,000 guitars from around the world. Okay. Then we move on to Jens Johansson and keyboards. And his uh, little bio blip here is growing up in Sweden and classically trained. He was the first and only choice for Dio and happens to be rated in the top five keyboard polls. Fair enough. I would agree with that. He's uh, He was an excellent choice. Uh, but again, buried in the mix and not doing a whole lot on this record. Um, I would not put this one in his resume. Simon Wright drums, an Englishman and seven year and seven year ACDC member. Simon is a longtime friend of Ronnie's. There you go. <laughs> That's why he's on this record. Oh. <laughs> a longtime friend of Ronnie's and was originally asked to guest on the album, but while recording, decided to join the band permanently. Okay. And then finally, Teddy Cook, bass, a New Yorker who played locally. He was asked to join Dio because of his versatility and dedication to music. That is very vague. I'm sure there's there's a, I'm sure there's more to that than what's told there. His dedication to music. Uh, okay. It's almost like this is a press release or something. It is. You know, it's, they're it's, trying it's to justify. <laughs> like if you're holding this album, you know who, who Ronnie James Dio is. Who is this guy anyway? <laughs> yeah. Uh Simon Wright. Yeah. Uh he was okay in ACDC. He certainly uh got the job done. Um here you're right, man. I mean, it really it's it really lacks Vinny's touch. I mean, he could it, I don't know if he could transform the album but he could certainly certainly make it better and lock up the wolves um when you mentioned you know that that uh the simon's just kind of going along the very pedestrian um these kind of songs are like drummers at least i do um and, and most guys i know uh love these kind of things where there's a lot of space and you can be creative and and you can flip the beat around and you can do different things because it moves at a pace where you can, it, it's not too hard to think ahead and, and, and plan your next move and be creative with it. Um, and there's none of that here. And it, it almost kind of makes you wonder what Simon Wright, what he's thinking. I mean, you would say, why well, you, you would approach this as a drummer and think, oh man, this is going to be a lot of fun. I can, I can really just, I could show off a little bit. I can, I can get creative with this. And he, he does none of that. Uh, maybe he was maybe he was kind of throttled. I mean, uh, I don't know, but uh, certainly, you know, anybody in the band just kicking it up a notch and making things just a little bit more interesting to an otherwise dull song would have been would have been more than welcome here. But now they're just kind of coasting through it, and in the end, "Lock of the Wolves" just is a song that's totally forgettable. And it's really odd that it's the title track. It's like it's sad, you know, you get a holy diver, you've got the last in line, even dream evil, sacred heart, taking him out of sequence, of course, but um all of those albums have, have strong title tracks. And this one is just like 
one of the weaker tracks on the album. So I don't know. I wonder what maybe Dio, you know, I, I after reading Dio's book, I, I never suspected that he was much of a drug user. And I think he, he, by and large, he wasn't, but he liked to smoke pot. Maybe he was really, really high the entire time he was doing this because it sort of has that just lethargic, uh, yeah, hazy, uninspired, unproductive, lack of ambition. It sounds almost kind of stoner in, in that in that way. So maybe he was high as a kite, didn't have any ambition, which is, of course, what we know of Dio through number of sources he was anything but lacking in, a, in ambition. So I don't know what the hell happened here, but... All right. Well, uh, we're on side two now, the the vinyl, and that opens up with Evil on Queen Street. Another one that I don't like. I can't stand the. It has this sort of dun 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 feel to the verse, which I just hate. This sort of bluesy. Again, it's it's like all over this record, like this blues, uh, blues metal vibe or something to it, and I I, I just hate it. It just it just doesn't work for me again. I mean, we keep saying this another plotting one, another one that's just yeah. too darn slow. Uh, and Ronnie's singing his heart out and he's putting all this emotion into it. And it's it's just it's like there's just nothing. Uh, it's I feel it's almost like I feel bad for him. Like he's he's trying, yeah. he's singing his heart out over something that is just doesn't work and supposedly the story is is that this is some sort of reference to a sandwich shop in toronto or something and i think it's like that's what's inspiring ronnie at this point is 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 a ham sandwich you know i mean the lyrics don't reference that but it's just that's the way the the story for the title but again it just it almost feels awkward too it's just like it doesn't the lyrics don't don't work and the song just never gets off the ground and i can't stand the that that bluesy da dun 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 like feel in the verse it's just yeah. so plotting it's so uninspiring the thing with blues you know you mentioned a lot of this has that 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 bluesy kind of feel to it but there's no variation at all in any of these songs with the guitar effect with with the guitar the way that 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 rowan expresses himself in the guitar he he plays he plays it differently but the sound is consistent from beginning to end i I would probably be able to appreciate a song like this a little bit more if it kind of moved away from what he's already done in previous songs that were similar to this if he said okay well you know i mean for all intents and purposes this song it's sort of similar to a couple other ones that we've already recorded i'm going to experiment i'm going to go with a with a more of a uh straight amp I'm, I'm gonna get rid of this this over override what the hell the overdrive, overdrive pedal, pedal yeah. overdrive pedal for for the time being and i'm gonna go with you know i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do this in like a an electric blues kind of way and that would really make it interesting it would certainly make it stand out among the other tracks that were sort of falling into this this criteria here um but he doesn't do that and that again it shows me a little bit of inexperience but you can't necessarily it chalked that up to his age because I mean, we've already referenced that, you know, Zach Wilde was like on no rest for the wicked. And he was just like going crazy. Um, a lot of ideas, a lot of inspiration. 
there doesn't seem to be a lot of inspiration with Rowan other than, you know, there's some variation, a minimal amount of variation with the riffs. Um, but not a lot of inspiration where he he's he's the kind of guy or the kind of player that has like a whole arsenal of different effects and amps and he's really into you know he's a gearhead you know he's into the, not only is he a, a, a great guitar player but he's really into the you know the the gear and 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 the amps and different guitars and i think he said that when he went to his audition or his guitar of choice prior to joining the dio band was a Fender Squire, which is like a, it's a poor man's version of a Strat, essentially, more affordable version of a Strat. Um, and then when he joined Dio, Dio got him hooked up with Jackson, Grover, Grover Jackson, is that the guy's name? Got him signed up yeah. as an endorsement yeah, yeah. and he started playing. And he said, right away, he's like, I, I expected this guitar to sound huge, but it sounded kind of kind of small. He's like, I was kind of surprised by that. Um, so that being the case, you would think that maybe he would say, okay, this guitar, this sound is okay, but I don't want to use it. I'm not crazy about it. I appreciate the reputation behind it. I, I appreciate the endorsement and I want to use it to add a little color here and there, but I, I don't, I don't like it enough to use it the entire time. Like, like I had to keep making comparisons to Zach, but you know, Zach, the way that he went into the studio and you hear the story about how he went in, um, and he during the recording of no rest for a wick for the wicked and he you know he told the producer he's like uh okay can i can i do something over again and like sure what would you like to do um everything <laughs> you know he was assertive um even though he was inexperienced and and maybe what others in his position might feel out of his element he had that assertion and that confidence to to know that this was his big shot. This is what's going to put him on the map. So so go for it. I, I wish there was more of that spirit and inspiration in, in Rowan's. Because he's a good guitar player, but I just don't. He doesn't have that Zach quality. And, you know, when I think about it, it's like, you know that Wendy and Sharon were friends. And I wonder, I, I, don't, I don't think that Dio, I, I, I think there's enough evidence out there from what we've learned Um about Dio's relationship with Wendy that he was pretty submissive to her. And I wonder if she wasn't influenced by what was going on over in the Ozzy camp and taking some of those situations and trying to apply them to Dio, because obviously D the Ozzy career was a, a success story, a continuing story of success. And I wonder if she didn't think that, hey, you know what? That guitar player that's playing in Ozzy's band, he was a young guy. Maybe we need a young guy, too. And I wonder if over 5,000 submissions, if it wasn't that Ron was chosen because he was the best guitar, but maybe because he was the Zach Wilde. Maybe he, she was hoping for a Zach Wilde in Ron. Because he does mention that on the second time he submitted his demo, he sent it to the fan club, and it was Wendy that called. And then he also goes on to say that Wendy told him that initially Ronnie put the he liked it, but he put the demo aside because he thought it was um that that he knew his age and he thought he was too inexperienced. Um, so maybe he made that assertion based on what he heard, liked it enough, but didn't think it was good enough for his band. Then then Wendy came in and took the demo and then took it upon herself to call Rowan and 
And of course, once Wendy told Dio, now this is, of course, this is all coming from my imagination, but I could see this, this playing out this way because it, it makes sense that this wasn't solely Dio's decision. This was something that came from the mind of Wendy Dio. And I think that the influence, because I mean, when did West, No Rest of the Wicked came, come out? That was 1989, wasn't it? I think it was 1989. Uh, yeah, I believe so. So that yeah. happened before this. And of course, we can all... 88. was so we agreed that coming from from the ultimate sin and going into, into No Rest for the Wicked was like a shot of adrenaline. And I, and I think the reviews and, and, and everything surrounding the hype and the, and the press and, and the reviews for, for No Rest for the Wicked were all positive. I think maybe... It was Wendy's idea that maybe they needed a young guy too, a talented young guy to, to give them a shot in the arm. And man, that just didn't happen. Um, and maybe they should have looked at, maybe they should have interviewed him a little bit deeper. Maybe they should have had a few more auditions, but I think it, it, it Rowan could have saved the day if he just had a little bit more, like I said, I coming back to the original point, if he had just had a little bit more creativity with some of the, the guitar tones and the effects and and things like that because there's nothing wrong with the solos. Solos are good. The riffs are pretty cool, but they're all kind of like overshadowed. Like when uh, Tony Platt said, "Well, you if you bring that effect pedal into the studio, it's going to put a veil over everything." Well, he was absolutely right, and that's what it sounds like. It sounds like there's just like this this blanket over everything that just sort yeah, of deadens. Is, they're just kind of dull. It doesn't jump yeah, out at the speakers at you. Deadens the dynamics here. Um, so, yeah. Very noticeable on Evil on Queen Street. All right. Well, next is Walk on Water. And here we finally get a, the tempo uh, uh, back up again. And if we're, again, if we're going by the CD sequence, I mean, we've had slow plotting numbers now. The last like four songs have been, for the most part, slow. Uh, finally, Walk on Water kicks things up and... Uh, this one's okay uh, you know it's 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 energetic uh it's it's okay this one I, i'm okay with this one it's uh it's not it's nothing mind-blowing it's a little bit uh but compared to what what's come before it uh it's it feels like a welcome relief here that we have some energy and the guitar solo in this one he's really like shredding in this one and it kind of makes you wonder like i wonder why he didn't cut loose a little bit more like this on some of the other things but uh yeah so that's what i got to say about this is uh at least at least it's upbeat <laughs> yeah now it, it changes gears a little bit and, and it you know i mean it's a little late it, it this should have happened uh a little sooner um maybe you could have switched uh walk on water with evil on queen street and on the vinyl, Evil on Queen Street opens up side two, and it's kind of a dud. Uh, but Walk on Water, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's a it's a good song. It, it's another one that I could potentially, if I had if I had to pick three, yeah, it would be Hey Angel, Born on a Sun, and probably Walk on Water. Having said that, I would put Walk on Water as the opener on side two. It's not a great song, but it's a hell of a lot better than Evil on Queen Street. Um, so yeah, I mean. Finally, we, we get a little bit of like a relief here from all this like oppression of just basic stock riffs and and churning mid-tempo stuff. You know, we get a song that's a little bit more of a, you know, get your 
your blood flowing a little bit. So yeah, walk on water is cool. All right, then twisted. Uh tempo drops back down here, although it's not quite as plodding as some of the other ones. It's okay. I mean, the chorus is is kind of decent in it. Again, I just don't like this blues feel that I hear in a lot of these songs. And it's not like, you know, let's hey, Tony Iomi and Black Sabbath, they're a blues-based band, but Iomi does interesting things with it. Whereas I don't know. This just doesn't feel very inspired to me. And this is one that I don't hate the song, but it's just like, it's okay. And it's not really something that I want to come back to and listen to no. again. It's just kind of like, it's not terrible. It's certainly not good. It's probably a five out of 10, a four out of 10. And it's just, it's just not inspiring. It doesn't make me want to come back and, listen to it the bluesy feel is is just doesn't work for me with this with this lineup with the band in in general no very boring song i would take it off the album i can barely remember it um but i do remember it and i i one of the things i remember was that i was waiting for it to be over so like you know basically i at this point it's almost like I'm ready. This album is over. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're done here. Um, and, and also, even the album sequence, Born on the Sun was the song before this, so I'm feeling like pretty cool, feeling pretty good after Born on the Sun, and then it just takes it back down uh, to Twisted. And um, yeah, no, very uninspired sounding. I'm not, I'm not into the uh, one or two songs of the blues based thing for Dio to try and insert in, in a record because he really hasn't done that too much before. Uh, but it's just too much of it. it it's overkill. And uh, this is definitely one of the songs I would I would take off the album to make it a, an eight song record. And, you know, and as, as I'm listening to it, I I noticed that the album just it it feels it feels long. Oh yeah, and the CD version. Yeah, I was going to say the CD version is, I was going to say the next song. Now, I don't know if, if you don't have the CD. Uh, this, is, this is only on the CD version. It's called Why Are They Watching Me? I don't know. Have no. you even heard this? Nope. Uh, I actually think this is one of the better songs on the album. It's upbeat and it has something that almost none of the other songs on here have. It has some different section changes where it changes feel like within the song too many of these songs they're just the same like tempo the same feel through the whole thing here we get some tempo changes mid-song and it's 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 has kind of a classic uh dio type of type of vibe uh to it it wasn't on the cassette or the vinyl release it's only on the cd one can only think, like you mentioned, by the 90s, people were probably thinking more CD. Maybe this is the definitive track listing for it. Uh, this is a good song. It should have been, we should have dropped some of these other songs, like you mentioned, and this should have been bumped up and put on side one. This this could have been like the third song on the album. And it, and it, and it has the things that the other songs don't have it it doesn't have it has like some tempo changes and and section changes and it's a little bit more kind of structured and and worked out and uh 
it just moves a little bit more. So it keeps your interest. You're listening to it and all of a sudden the tempo changes or the feel changes in the middle of the song and it just sort of catches your attention. The guitar playing is really good. The, the chorus is, is good on it. So I don't know what they were thinking. If they were thinking just the CD, if that's the case, okay. Uh, this should have been higher up on the album. Not sure why it's buried at song number 10 at this point, because like I said, it's been such a slog getting through this record to get to this point. It's I, This is also, I believe, the I have a 12-inch version of a 12-inch single of Hey Angel, and this is, this is on it. So I don't know if this was a B-side that when it was, I don't know. I don't know why it was not put on the well probably wasn't put on the vinyl because like you said the album's too long and yeah. for vinyl you you can only have you know 20 to 25 minutes at the most on a side but it, it why on earth they would drop this song and not drop one of these other songs is is just hard for me to understand <laughs> well you've definitely piqued my curiosity i've, I've never heard it and i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to check that out on uh, youtube or something but um the point I wanted to make is that, and that, that that that's a good example of. So we're crowding an album. This is where the conflict comes between the two formats, where you have CD and then you have vinyl. And typically, in the history of vinyl and the history of rock music or any music really, uh, that's on vinyl. You optimum fifteen to seventeen seventeen minutes per side. Um, and then we enter into the CD era. And then it's like you got you could put 80 minutes of music on a CD. So of course you have to you have to come close to it. And then there are no more 40 to 45 minute albums anymore. And the advent of the compact disc, now everybody is pressured to put as much as they can on a CD. And generations that grew up buying music on CD, that, that was their format that they bought things. When the vinyl started to make a resurgence, one of the complaints was there's not enough music. I prefer a CD because you get more music. Yeah, but if the music isn't good, what what good does that do? I mean, yeah. they can't all be winners. And when you're trying to, and it also in the creative process, it would take longer because you know you're almost getting to the point where you're putting two albums, two traditional lengths albums on on one CD and, and calling it an album. And it's taking twice as long for bands to release things because oh, they have to write like 12 songs or 14 songs as opposed to writing eight songs or 10 songs. Um, so in, in this coming out in 1990, this is kind of like a casualty of, of the time that it's coming out because we have 10 songs on a record, which kind of pushes the limit. In, in vinyl standards today, you would probably find this, and if there is going to be a reissue of this, I wouldn't be surprised if they make it a double vinyl where you have three songs per side or two songs on one side. And you, 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 you move the album out over the course of, of two records. So there's a lot of music to put on one record. It's 30 minutes per side. And man, that's, that's hit or miss on a vinyl format. But um, yeah, so there's too many songs on this album. Um, there was probably some pressure to put as many songs as they could on the album because we're in the uh, CD age. So, consequently, 
we have some songs that shouldn't have even seen the light of day <laughs> in my opinion anyway yeah um, all right well then the album ends with my eyes and yeah. this is another one that doesn't work for me uh you get ronnie quoting all these old song lyrics i've seen it from heaven and hell i've seen it from the eyes of a stargazer i want to be invisible just get me out of here could the dreamer be turning to stone uh rock and roll eyes the color of rainbows it uh it just doesn't work and uh at this point in his career to be quoting all these older songs it I, I don't know. I don't know why he would do that. This is the type of thing like when Judas Priest did Angel of Retribution and they reunited and there's some references to old Judas Priest songs on there. It makes sense because the band is reuniting. They've that all that kind of yeah. stuff. But here it's like, why are you referencing songs that just came out three or four years ago? <laughs> or yeah it doesn't make any sense to me and it doesn't work it sounds awkward it sounds forced uh you would think if it was a song like this where he is sort of tying together all these themes from his past it would be this epic mighty uh song but here it just sounds like he's just doesn't know what to write about so he just starts grabbing from referencing old song lyrics or something it's it's so strange it starts off kind of cool with the guitar thing but again it just sort of doesn't go anywhere it just just doesn't it just doesn't work and it's a real disappointing way to end the record and to hear ronnie repeating the rock and roll eyes uh collector of lies i mean it's <laughs> rock yeah. and roll eyes my eye he just keeps repeating like that it's, it's so rock and roll eyes. Like, what does that even mean? It's like such an awkward, it sounds like uh, something the Scorpions would would write, you know? It's like, I just expect better from Ronnie and it's just a sad sort of, just, it's like the car has just run out of gas and he's just coasting on fumes at this point, yeah. just trying to get to the end of the record so we can all go home. <laughs> I think, I think it makes a valid statement, but you're right, it, it is kind of it is kind of cheesy. Um, and, and something that if you're going to do that, it would be like after a uh, a hiatus and you're coming back and you want to remind everybody like, you know, these are the great songs that I was a part of, you know, you like in case you forgot, uh, it's kind of too soon to be to have that sentiment unless his attitude at the time was sort of getting bewildered by by where he was in, in this band. And, you know, I mean, as I'm sitting here and I'm looking at the inner sleeve, I'm looking and I see the Dio logo and it reminds me of of one of those things you might see on social media, Facebook in particular, where they'll take a picture of, of um, <laughs> Kiss and they'll put Led Zeppelin underneath it. And it's funny, you know, it's a joke. It's like, oh, that's not Led Zeppelin, it's Kiss. Well, no, duh. It's just basically, you know, saying they're kind of interchangeable. Um, but this kind of reminds me of like, you see the Dio band is this Dio, there's a Dio logo under it. It kind of reminds me of one of those memes where, well, I don't know, this is actually a picture of Fastway. You might think, no, that's not Dio, that's Fastway. Oh, wait a minute, no, there's Ronnie James Dio. Well, who are the other guys? I don't know. But they're Dio because it says it says Dio, and it's they're not lying because it's yeah. inside the album, but it's just weird. And so they're even sitting maybe... there. They're sitting there on the floor. It looks like somebody just just threw a a, a sheet 
against a wall, you know, the yeah, total right. uninspiring, like we need a band photo. What are we going to do? Well, we're in the practice room, just put a sheet against a wall and we'll sit on the floor. It's just like, so yeah. uninspiring. Yeah. Uh, it, it is. And it, it's, you know, it's, it's fitting to have that, that sort of thing in the album. And, and maybe that was like their whole, maybe that was the, the mindset. It's like, man, you know, we're just, we're just rock and roll guys. We're just wearing our, our, our denim vests and our sneakers and jeans. And, you know, we're not going to get dressed up. It's just no rock star. Yeah. And rock we're going to get to a back to an old, just a bluesy blues. vibe, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're just going to, you know, go back to like a bad company yeah. or free, you know, I, that kind of like blues rock, 70s yeah. blues rock vibe. But nah. No, it doesn't work. And and as far as my eyes is concerned, like I said, it, it makes a valid statement and it does remind you like, wow, yeah, you know, Ronnie, wow, he's was involved in some pretty powerful songs and man, he really, really did some great stuff. But the way that to interpret it, um, I I would draw the conclusion that he's done, man. He's, he's tired of this. My eyes, my rock and roll eyes. The way I see that is him, like all the things on his experience, his rock and roll eyes is like that, that. That's his experience and all the things and the lies, you know, it could even be maybe a reference to Wendy because their relationship could get tumultuous at times or maybe just record people and colleagues, Richie Blackmore, Cozy Powell, whoever, you know, some of the people, some of the, the dealings with Tony Iommi, you know, things didn't and Geezer Butler, things didn't end well uh you know and the first his first round round with with tony and geezer so you know there could be some um some retrospection going on here and and you could even maybe draw the conclusion that he's not really very happy where he is either but and if um, that's the case the music does not match the sentiment of the lyrics the music doesn't doesn't fit the I could see that an interpretation of those lyrics like that, but then that me the music to me doesn't help convey that that feeling. The music comes out flat. It doesn't. It doesn't. There should be some bite, then yeah. and venom to the music, and and there's none of that to me. There's no no I anger or anything in the music. I don't know if there was a deadline. I don't know if he had wasted too much time, and he was in a position where it's like okay. It took me a while to get this band together. I, I it, that that took months. I, I have I have another six months to get all my ducks in a row and put this album out, or I'm going to lose lose money, or there's going to be some kind of like contractual retaliation, or there's going to be some kind of effect that's not going to be pleasant from the business angle. So I I've, I've got to do this. So you know I, I I picked out these songs. We've got the music written and. And maybe he didn't have enough to work with. Maybe there wasn't a song that was suitable for the lyrics. Maybe this is, this is what he had. And the way it starts out, it, it, it seems like, you know, it's kind of soft. Another one is sort of picked if I'm if I'm if I'm thinking of the right song, and I'm pretty sure I am. Starts off in kind of like a, a poignant manner. And then it kicks in and it kind of loses the vibe. I was hoping it would might stay that way and take the album out like that. But you're right. I mean, if you're gonna put your career if you're going to make this song sort of like your your career retrospective representation and it's not a very fitting song musically to, to go with that but 
it almost feels like he's going to go in like a rainbow eyes direction yeah, and that kind of really mellow yeah it it would have worked better and instead it's it, it it moves away from that that intro feel and and just goes again into sort of like some kind of uninspiring music but all right well uh Sorry to everybody out there who really likes you like yeah. lock up lock up the wolves. I mean, you know, we respect we respect you, but uh, you know, this is just this this is just our opinion on it, and uh, you know, we're we're being honest with you here at uh, Into the Void. Uh, so there you go. There's uh, there's lock up the wolves for us. Certainly a, a difficult uh, difficult album. Uh, for us to really get into but hey if if you're a fan of this album and uh, you like it uh, we'd love to hear from you Uh, you can go over to our facebook page uh, into the void of black sabbath podcast we'd love to hear why why you like this record because uh, you know you maybe you just came in at this record at a point in your life or came into the do band at a, a little later point and this album has some meaning to you i i again i have friends that i know people that do really like like this record so there are fans of this album out there so if you are one of them stop by uh, our facebook page and uh, let us know uh we also uh you can also find more sabbath related uh content on my youtube channel a layer of the alchemist uh darren and i do a, a Sabbath Sunday feature every now and then on there talking about things uh, going a little bit beyond what we talk here on the podcast. If you would like to uh, help us out even more, we appreciate all your support. And if you'd like to go the extra distance, uh, you can do that by going to Kofi, ko-fi.com slash into the void, a black Sabbath podcast. Uh, there'll be a link to that in the description of the podcast. You can go there and make a donation of any amount that you would like. We'd like to thank uh, William W. and Matthew O. for their very generous uh, contributions and donations. We really appreciate your support. It really uh, means a lot and really helps keep us uh, keep keep the podcast going for this. Because although we do this as a labor of love, because we love Black Sabbath. Uh, there are some expenses that we have with the podcast. So thank you, William and Matthew, for your generous contributions. Uh, got any final thoughts on Lock Up the Wolves before we lock this one up? <laughs> uh, I was just going to say what you said. Um, if anybody has a uh, a fond memory or, or, or they, they look upon this album fondly, and maybe it's one of your favorite Dio albums, I I, I'd love to to hear what what it is that you like about it, and maybe you know I can look at it from that perspective because I I'd like to have a different attitude about this album, but uh, I unfortunately I I really can't get behind it. I mean I think through the course of doing this podcast I've I've had certain albums that I I wasn't crazy about, and I'll I'll name Born Again as one. But you know since I've this podcast is I'm really glad that it. it you know that there's people that appreciate it and that they they're entertained by it but it, it, it's really it's really fun for for me to do too because it I, I love black sabbath and i have since i was a little kid basically um but it's always fun to like to get into these discussions and it just um it gets me excited about the music of black sabbath again and it in a lot of ways sometimes it'll reintroduce me to albums because i'll always prior to the podcast i'll 
I'll, I'll listen to the album that we're going to talk about with fresh years. And, and sometimes I go into it thinking, yeah, this wasn't really one of my favorites. And then I listen to it again and I, I get prepared for the podcast and I, I find something about it to appreciate. Um, I can't say that about Headless Cross, but I can say that about Born Again. I'm, I'm actually really, really into Born Again now. And and we've, I feel like being that I, I, I've talked about it and I've got everything off my chest about what I don't like about it, uh, I feel like a weight has been lifted and now I can, because I, I, I've got that out in the open, now I can go back and I can listen to it again. So um, maybe, you know, some of your insights, if you want to get on our Facebook page and talk about if you like Lock Up the Wolves and, and maybe, you know, you, you have fond memories of this album, uh, maybe I can, you know, get something from that and, and listen to the album again and say, oh, yeah, you know what? So-and-so was right. Yeah, I never heard that before. That That's pretty cool. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're all fans of Black Sabbath, Dio, Ozzy, the whole Black Sabbath universe. And, you know, it, it, it's cool to talk to people. It's cool to get in some of these discussions. And we, we get messages from time to time on the Facebook page. And it's fun to talk to people that are as enthusiastic enthusiastic and as excited about Black Sabbath music as we are. So, yeah, like John said, by all means, let us know what you think about Lock Up the Wolves, even if you hate it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And uh, the next podcast will be uh, for No More Tears. So we will see you at the next one for Ozzy Osbourne's No More Tears album. And before we go, remember that you can only trust yourself, the 19 Black Sabbath studio albums, and Into the Void, a Black Sabbath podcast. <laughs>